Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Even though we've had a number of Colts people tell us that this doesn't feel the vibe of a spoiler team, uh, that's all there really is to play for outside of jobs for next year and their livelihoods and pride. No playoffs this year for the Colts. That's been known for over a week now. But the New York football giants, the G-Men, an opportunity during their first playoff bid since 2016 with a victory over the Colts on Sunday. Dan Duggan of The Athletic, beat writer for the New York Giants, nice enough to take some time with us. Dan, first off, Happy New Year to you, and uh, thank you so much for making time for us. Yeah, same. Happy New Year to you as well. When you look at the trajectory of this Giants team, there's been a lot of, of ups and downs over the last couple of years, particularly in the Daniel Jones era. I know it's a lot to ask for the opening question, but huh. to encapsulate what this would mean to this organization when you see so many teams around the league, just like the Jaguars as well, fighting to end a championship or uh, end a playoff drought, is a little bit of difference with New York with that being championship pedigree, trying to get back there. What would it mean to this group to be able to close out a playoff spot on Sunday? Yeah, I don't know from afar if people realize just how low things had gotten here because, you know, know, they made this playoffs in 2016, obviously had two Super Bowls in this century, but uh, the five years preceding this one, they had the worst record in the league, tied with the Jets for the worst record in the league. So they had completely bottomed out, uh, gone through – Three coaches since Tom Coughlin, uh, Brian Dable's the fourth. So it's just been uh, a ton of upheaval here. And uh, things were looking pretty bleak coming into this year because you figure uh, most of the core guys that are on this roster right now have been here for a ton of losing. So there wasn't a ton of optimism that, like, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley um, could lead the team to, to the postseason. But uh, obviously that's what they're, they're on the verge of doing. Um, it's really been a surprising year. I don't even know if you asked Brian Dable and, and GM Joe Shane before the season if they thought that this was – the likely outcome, but um, you know, for so many years of not getting breaks, uh, they've gotten them this year. They've made their own breaks, so I don't take anything away from them. But um, it's it's been a complete reversal from uh, the spiral they've really been in the last five years. Hey Dan, it's Brendan. Two part question for you on Daniel Jones. When it comes to his development, how much of his slow start had to do with the almost what felt like constant coaching shuffle? And then secondly, what has Brian Dable done for his game most? Yeah, well, so he's had a kind of an interesting start to his career. Like his rookie year, um, he comes in, Eli is still here, but they pulled the plug early and put him in. You know, he's a starter from week three and then the rest of the season. Uh, but that was with Pat Shermer. And, and Pat Shermer had, you know, a pretty, pretty good offense. It worked well for Jones, but the big issue, he put up some nice numbers, touchdown passes, yards, a ton of turnovers, and it was really fumbled with one interception. That was a huge uh, issue early in his career. But so then Shermer gets fired. They bring in Joe Judge and Jason Garrett. And the one thing they certainly focused on was limiting turnovers. They achieved that, but in the process, like, totally stripped him of any of the playmaking that was there his rookie year. So the last two years, he was just kind of kind of stuck in neutral. He had a neck injury that cost him the last six or seven games of last season. So really kind of a lost year. And then, you know, a new regime comes in. So it's his third, third coaching staff, third, you know, regime uh, in his time here first thing they do is not pick up his fifth year option for 2023 which is it's something now they probably wish they did in hindsight but i mean it totally understood the decision at the time um but it felt like you know he was kind of in a prove it year and then the deck was kind of stacked against him but he has really played well i mean he's not putting up monster numbers but, uh throwing the ball by any stretch but he's kind of doing what they're asking him to do he's not turning the ball over making a lot of plays with his legs uh you know just kind of doing enough to win games which is something we hadn't seen because his career record coming into the year this year was was really poor 
And you know he's been the guy at the controls for for this turnaround this season. Dan, the biggest talk of the offseason, or one of the biggest talking points of the offseason was, can we get a not just a fully healthy, but but a, a consistent high-level season like we'd seen early on in his career from Saquon Barkley? There were a lot of doubters in that regard. What has been that journey like and this journey over the course of the season like as Saquon has really looked like for the entirety of this season like the top-tier back he was his rookie year? Yeah, no, it's really been remarkable. I mean, he definitely... Uh, you know, the injuries were, were a huge problem. You know, he had that, that breakout rookie year, second year he missed some time, and then kind of played through a high ankle sprain, third year toward the ACL in week two. And then last year he was still coming back from the ACL. Then he had a bad sprained ankle that cost him time and never really kind of fully got his juice back, just recovering from that. So it's been really three years since we've seen that explosive, you know, number two pick version of Saquon Barkley. Uh, and, he, and he's back, and then some really this year. I mean, especially – the first five to seven games this year, he was like shot out of a cannon. It was crazy. You could tell he had—he didn't make any secrets of it. He admitted that the doubters and everything fueled him. He had a point to prove, and he, and he played like that, and he ran like that. Uh, he did bang up his shoulder. Uh, the offensive line was kind of banged up. So he had a, a, a lull for about five games where he wasn't super productive, didn't look like he had that same juice. And then all of a sudden, uh, it's gone back the last two games. Uh, he closed out the win at Washington, which was a huge game for these guys, uh, like, three straight carries over 10 yards when they were in like a four-minute offense to try and put the game away. And, and then against the Vikings, obviously they lost last week, but made a huge play there. It's fourth and two. They're down by eight, and he breaks the, I think it was a 27-yard touchdown. They end up tying the game and, and losing on a 61-yard field goal. Uh, but, but to your Saquon point, I mean, he looks like he's kind of getting back uh, that early season form. And, yeah, he, he's definitely put himself back in that uh, top-tier running back conversation. And it's perfect time because, like, like Daniel Jones, he's in a contract year. So they, they're going to have some very interesting decisions this offseason with um, you know, the two most important players on offense, uh, both set to become free agents. Dan, I think it's really impressive that Jones has been able to do what he has done, even with basically his entire wide receiver room getting flipped over on its own head with injuries and the trade of Kadarius Tony, and then Kenny Galladay basically has been benched, right? So uh, talk about the re- receiver room for the Giants this year and kind of just how unpredictable it's been, who's going to be on the field on a weekly basis. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's been crazy because if you were coming into this year, you would have said, you know, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, Sterling Shepard, and Wondell Robinson, the, the second-round pick, would have been the top four receivers. Uh, Robinson and Shepard, both out for the season with torn ACLs. Galladay is just, you know, in the winners' protection program here. They're just counting down the days so they can cut him and get out of that $72 million albatross that Dave Gettleman left them with. And then, of course, Tony was traded to the Chiefs, just a guy who was just, you know, they didn't draft him, was totally unreliable, couldn't get on the field, obviously – uh, very talented, and you've seen glimpses of it in Kansas City, but he's also uh, been on the shelf a lot there. So that that story kind of has continued in Kansas City. So they've they've turned to guys who are, you know, young guys or guys off the scrap heap. I mean, their leading receiver is Darius Slayton, the guy who has been here for four years and was was like a nice fifth round uh, find in the 2019 draft. But he was buried by this coaching staff, this regime, and uh, you know had to take a pay cut to stick around. Was a healthy scratch in week one, but with all these other injuries and, and issues at wide receiver, um, he's gone back in the fold. And he's kind of a big play field stretcher. And then they, they snatched Isaiah Hodgins off waivers from the Bills, who obviously Dable and Shane uh, were familiar with. And he's really developed into a, a nice piece. He's not a, not a burner or anything, but he's just a reliable guy who gets open and, and somehow has uh, developed pretty good chemistry with Daniel Jones for guys who only been here for a handful of weeks. And then Richie James is a guy who, you know, was kind of cast off from San Francisco and, He's taken over the slot spot that was supposed to go to Sterling Shepard and Wanda Robinson. So he's really you know, the third guy up there. And he's been 
uh, pretty reliable, productive slot guy. So certainly not a, uh, a room loaded with all pros, but uh, they've done a pretty effective job. And that's where a lot of the credit goes to Jones. He's not going to put up, you know, 400 yard passing days with that crew, uh, but he's gotten kind of the most out of them. Dan Duggan taking some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and the motorshop.com for your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snow blowers, power tools, equipment, so much more. They have you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers or the motorshop.com. Dan, the Giants beat reporter for The Athletic. Dan, the best spot for this Colts team all year, and there hasn't been a ton of it, has been the defense. Now, it's faltered a little bit as of late, but you look at arguments throughout the middle portion of this season, it's, man, if this offense was halfway decent, this is a playoff team here in Indianapolis. For the Giants, when you look at the ebbs and flows of their offense and the different weapons the Colts have defensively, how do these two stack up on paper in your mind? Yeah, well, I think a lot of people here are looking at, you know, sort of the Colts' results and their record, and fans are thinking oh like this should be an easy win getting the playoffs because that's obviously if they win they're in and I would assume it's going to be more of like a rock fight because that's a that's how the Giants play and the fact that you know I don't think the Colts are a very explosive offense but as you mentioned their defense um you know has kept them in game so I'd be surprised if the Giants come out and put up a ton of points and a ton of yards um you know that pass rush will be uh, something to be reckoned with because the Giants offensive line outside of left tackle Andrew Thomas uh, is very inconsistent. Some some weak links there on in the interior, which you would think uh, you know, DeForest Buckner could exploit. So uh, I don't think the Giants are going to come out and open it up and sling it around. I'm sure they'll be happy to just grind out a game with short passes, with Saquon. I mean, that's been their formula all season, so I can't imagine it'll change because, as you mentioned, um, the Colts do have a you know pretty stout defense, and uh, you're probably not super worried about their offense putting up a ton of points. I think if they feel like if they can just, you know, don't kill yourself with turnovers, don't do anything that's going to give the Colts a, a – a boost, then they should be able to win out in the end. Dan, I know New York sports fans are one of a kind, and I got a Yankees fan sitting next to me here, so I just want to get <laughs> your idea on the pulse of the fan base in New York, because as you, as you said, you went through some tough years, and now Dable has given a lot of hope, but do do the from a fan perspective, do Giants fans believe that truly they are back, or is it kind of they're looking to see more before that happens? It's interesting. I mean, I think that there's a ton of optimism about this, you know, kind of Dable Shane tag team. Uh, obviously, fans have enjoyed this season because it's been a while since they've, they've won, you know, eight games, uh, let alone be on the verge of a playoff berth. Uh, but I think there's there's still a little bit of, I don't know, trepidation or kind of what's next because there's still a pretty good divide in the fan base on Daniel Jones. Like, he has some strong supporters, some strong detractors. I think most people are somewhere in the middle and sort of like, well, how are they going to keep him if they keep him? Is it a franchise tag? Is it a, a short deal? Like, is it a long extension? Like, there isn't a consensus there. And I think even the same kind of applies to Saquon, where, like, everyone recognizes the talent, but everyone, a lot of people also recognize that, you know, big contracts, a second running back hasn't been a great investment. Kind of you look around the league. So it's sort of like I think people are enjoying the ride, um, but I'm not sure, like, you know, how people feel about the future because I think there are still some question marks about, you know, where this roster goes from here. And uh, it's going to be a fascinating offseason. However, this this season ends. I think you know Joe Shane's work really begins. You know this offseason got to roll the sleeves and, and make some big decisions on the future of this roster. Dan, it's hard because Colts fans are conflicted, right? They 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 want to see the team at this point get a good draft pick, but the organization and and the NFL on a weekly basis, like you mentioned, and why Giants fans shouldn't maybe think this is an easy win. Look at the Texans. Look at just teams towards the bottom of the pack that are still fighting because it is the NFL and it is a cliche, but it's an any given Sunday mentality. 
if for some reason there's Colts fans listening that, that want to see their team with a couple wins here or there to close the year, uh, where is an area that the Giants are exploitable even with a shorthanded Colts offense? Yeah, so I mean, like I said, on the offensive side of the ball, I think their pass rush is what would have to really kind of take over the game, maybe, you know, create some turnovers. Uh, the Giants' defense, uh, I mean, they're going to blitz a ton, so that, that seems like that's probably a good matchup for the Giants based on what I've seen from the Colts' offensive line. Um, but, you know, you can hit a few big plays. I don't think Adoree Jackson, their number one corner, is going to play. There was kind of on the fence, uh, but I'm not super optimistic he'll play. So their secondary is, is a little bit weak, and, you know, I know the Colts have some pretty good receivers. So, uh, you know, you'd hope maybe Nick Foles shakes off some of the rust that seemed like he showed on Monday night. And I think that's probably going to be their uh, the recipe. I would just think big plays are probably be the way for the Colts, whether it's making big plays on defense or, uh, you know, you know bust the coverage or hit a deep shot on offense. Like, I think that – down in and down out, the Giants are probably better, but I mean they're not they're not some juggernaut that's just going to come on and roll over the Colts. So you know anything can happen if you have a few you know big plays on the special teams. That's been a problem for the Giants too this year. Um, they're doing some big plays there, so that's probably another another aspect that they could you know kind of even the scales a little bit in this matchup. Stan Duggan, Giants beat reporter for the Athletic. Dan, appreciate you making time for us, particularly on game week. I enjoy the rest of the season and look forward to following along with you. All right, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Dan. That's Dan Duggan, Giants beat reporter for The Athletic via the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline, themotorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as power tools, equipment, services, and so much more. The Motor Shop has your back at the Motor Shop and Fishers and themotorshop.com. In hindsight, even though I don't pub it this way as much, we should have had the Jimmy Kimmel this New Year's Eve will be the college football playoff song when they when they used old Lang Syne, they turned it into a full advertisement. But I'll take the weekend as well, because in general, a massive weekend in the sports world, particularly the college sports world. And one of our favorites, the great Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated, one of the best in the business at covering college athletics. Nice enough to take some time with us. Here's our last show of the new year. Pat, thanks again, as always, for making time for us. Always appreciate you coming on the show. And as we jump right into things, uh, I wanted to start with something that's on the mind of a lot of Colts fans. They're potentially going to be in the lottery to draft a quarterback. And with who could be there, C.J. Stroud is going to be on that list. But his next and only test before he gets to the NFL against an NFL-level defense is these Georgia Bulldogs. You, you, you like Georgia in terms of your predictions on the article on si.com with your crew is this as heavily favored towards georgia's side of the ledger as you see it on paper you know i I think so the the spread's not huge it's like six and a half um and i you know it's not like ohio state doesn't have the talent to play with them i just think that they've got some weaknesses at the line of scrimmage where Georgia has extreme strengths. You know, I mean, Georgia's defensive line and offensive line are phenomenal. And I think inside of the tackles, Ohio State's pretty ordinary on offense. And defensively, you know, we saw what happened when they played uh, Michigan. They got, they got trampled. And, you know, I think Georgia's a kind of a bigger, meaner version of Michigan. So I, I think if – unless – Stroud plays phenomenally, and Marvin Harrison goes nuts, and uh, Georgia turns the ball over. I think Georgia should win and probably win relatively easily. Hey, Pat, it's Brendan. Just to go off of what you said, that six-and-a-half-point spread, are you surprised it's not more? 
I am. I mean, I thought it would be over a touchdown. So, you know, it's nestled just on the other side of that. Uh, you know, again, I and Zeldmeyer may be a little bit of prisoner of the moment, but I was at that Ohio State-Michigan game, and that Ohio State team did not look capable of standing toe-to-toe with a heavyweight and, and winning a punch-out. So, you know, I'm, I'm just skeptical there. And I, quite frankly, I just haven't thought this Ohio State team was quite ever as good as they were supposed to be all year. You know, they, they were good, and they had some games they looked really good, but several other games I thought they were just kind of fairly ordinary and a little bit underwhelming. Pat, I know that the draft analyst isn't isn't the top billing on on your job description, but as you're observing the pathway through these quarterbacks, and we'll focus on Stroud for a second since he is, in terms of at least top of those mock boards, uh, the the main one on on center stage this weekend, where has been your evaluation of Stroud within Ohio State's offense and based on that perception, what, if anything, would surprise you or, or would maybe raise your value of him against this Bulldogs defense? Yeah, I think uh, I want to see him play well under real duress. And sometimes he has. Um, But, you know, I want to see him hit throws when there are people in his face. Uh, And he's just a a very reluctant runner. He, He can move, but he doesn't like to run. And I think he can run. I'd like to see him do a little bit more of that. We'll see if if they utilize that part of his game at all or not but you know he can make all the throws i'm pretty sure you know he's got very good arm he's got good accuracy um but when the going gets tough how does he handle it that's that's what i want to see and i I do expect the going to get pretty tough pat i think everybody realizes that all three of the next guys i'm about to mention are great quarterbacks and bryce young will levis and cj stroud but these bowl games and I realize Stroud is playing a bit more of an important one than Levis and Young when it comes to winning a national championship. But as they continue to get to know their draft positions, other teams, that is, how much do these bowl games will? How much of these bowl games will have an effect of determining where these guys go in your mind? Uh, good question. You know, I mean, I think with Stroud for sure, because people are going to say that's a, basically a pro-level defense he's going to be going against. So there will be interest there. Uh, you know, Bryce Young, I think, personally, I think helps himself by playing in the bowl. Uh, he's just a, he's a gamer. I mean, of the three, I like him the best. He He's the smallest, but he just is a very, very determined uh, player. He's a very good athlete. Um, you know, he he's a winner. Um, so, so, I, you know, I... I don't think he's going to hurt his stock of anything. He's going to help it, like I said, for playing. Lewis is not going to play, uh, which is probably hard on his point part because, you know, Bucky's a bit of a wreck, and he could probably only hurt himself. I'm not a huge Will Levis fan as an NFL quarterback. Um, you know, he's big and has a great arm. I just I, – I haven't seen enough that says that guy's going to be a next-level star in terms of – basically just about everything that goes with the job so i to me he's the one i got kind of scratch my head about where he's rated pat i want to get back to the college football playoff in a second but but i know that you've been recapping as well some of your your favorite college football uh not just playoff games just bowl games in general on si.com and i want to get to that as well but when you look at this year's slate for these new year's six bowls 
Is it the Sugar Bowl that has you most enticed just because Bryce Young is going to play? Or is there another bowl game that's outside of the playoff that, that, that you're very excited to see the matchup, not just on paper, but actually how it plays out? Yeah, I mean, I am super curious to see what Alabama looks like because in years past when they haven't made the playoff, they've tended to lay an egg in their bowl game. Uh, so are they going to bring it or not? I mean, I think it's it's significant that both Bryce Young and Will Anderson are playing. So, you know, theoretically they're going to show up and, and want to do well. Uh, beyond that, I, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in uh, the Orange Bowl, Tennessee and Clemson. You know, like Clemson, we're going to get to see Cade Klubnick uh, as the guy at quarterback. And, you know, what's that going to look like? And figuring he's going to be obviously the guy next year and maybe for another year after that. And, and so, you know, how, how good does he look? Uh, and then, you know, the, the, uh, the Rose Bowl will be interesting, too. You know, Utah's a really good team, really tough. And what does Penn State bring to the table against them? Pat Forty, nice enough to take some time for us via the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline and the motorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power tools, equipment, so much more. They'll be covered over at the Motor Shop and the motorshop.com. Uh, Pat, going to the college football playoff, that, that has become in some ways, I don't know if it, it, it turned into the machine that the college football playoff committee wanted it to be in terms of it, when it falls on New Year's Eve of is it always appointment television? The game's definitely haven't always lived up to it. It's always been the championship game that has been the piece de resistance of all that, if you will. But when you look at this college football playoff lineup this year, why should it be either appointment TV or why should it be something that's at least on in the background at, at New Year's parties or, or at sports bars across the country? Yeah, I mean, the whole New Year's Eve idea was dumb to begin with from the playoff <laughs> people. You know, that was, that was, that was arrogant frankly, and out of touch. Yeah. So, you know, I remember standing there when they announced the playoff and said, we're going to change what New Year's Eve is about in America. It's like, no, you're not. Everybody's still going to want to party, and maybe they'll watch football. So that was stupid. Uh, you know, I, I think people will watch in good numbers this year because you've got some big, big brand names involved. And then you also have TCU. But, I mean, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, those are big brand names with big followings. And so I expect them to – to have good ratings for sure for this uh, and then hopefully we have good games pat talking tcu michigan michigan's uh weapon core aj Henning actually went to my high school so i've known a lot about him and his family for a number of years know his siblings but when it comes to a tcu standpoint what chance do you give them to hang around in this game well i mean they're they're a really good offense um and if they keep max duggan upright I think they've got a chance to score some points. You know, he's he's a very good quarterback. He's mobile. Um, he throws a good deep ball. They've got a big-time receiver. Quentin Johnston is 6'4", um, and can just, you know, go over the top of defensive backs. Uh, got a really good running back in Kendra Miller. So they've got some weapons. I think the problem is their defense. I just don't know how well they're going to be able to stop Michigan. So, you know, if Michigan just gets the ground game going and just steamrolls them and eats the clock, that could get a little bit ugly and, and it certainly could get a little bit boring. But uh, we'll see what TCU can can do in terms of, of hitting some big plays and maybe using some trickery to stay around. Pat, the other crazy story of the last 24 to 48 hours, at least in terms of college football, had nothing to do with the action on the field and impacts you know a lot of our listeners and a lot of people around this part of the country, but... 
with Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren being reported by a number of different outlets yesterday that he was a leading candidate to be the president and CEO of the Chicago Bears. I guess your first reaction to that and then the what looks like it could have just been grabbed from a, a Wikipedia page length of statement uh, by the Big Ten to counter that that you tweeted out yesterday. Yeah, it was a weird statement, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. was very, it felt like I was taking a college-level course going over that statement. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting. It's strange. It's, um, you know, awkward timing with two teams in the playoff and your commissioners maybe looking to bail for a NFL job. Kevin Warren has an NFL background, so <clears throat> his interest in that league obviously doesn't surprise me. Uh Chicago is looking to build a new stadium. He helped get the new stadium built in Minnesota. So that's kind of in his wheelhouse as well. I think there's plenty of people out there who think that, you know, Kevin Warren's ultimate goal is to be the commissioner of the NFL. That's probably easier done from within the NFL than from college athletics. But, uh, you know, it's, it's strange. He's had a strange tenure. There's been a lot of, you know, weird things that happened. He really kind of rehabbed his image uh, when they got the media rights deal done and the expansion done. Uh, And so I think people think of him much more positively now than they did uh, for the first year and a half of his tenure. But, you know, I don't think anybody in the Big Ten would be like, oh, no, what do we do if Warren leaves? Pat, Notre Dame and South Carolina here this afternoon at 3.30. I'm in South Bend in the summers. My dad's a Notre Dame alum. I know Jimmy, he's the one wearing a Notre Dame jersey in the studio today, so we both have a love the Irish for sure. I know it's been rumored, of course not official, Sam Hartman has been linked to Notre Dame, the Wake Forest transfer. If he ends up at ND, what are your thoughts there? I think it'd be big. He's a really good college quarterback. Um, you know, I... I think he's uh, he would be a great pickup, and exactly the kind of uh, portal move that Notre Dame probably should have made last year, instead of sticking with the quarterback lineup that they had. So, uh, you know, I think that's that that would be amongst the several Marcus Freeman recruiting successes. That would might maybe be the biggest one he's had so far would be to get uh, Hartman there. So, uh, I anticipate that really helps the Notre Dame offense next year. Pat, last thing on my end, and kind of a two-part question. I understand they're in different areas, but they both have different impacts. One, obviously the, the missile's already in the air, but how does Kevin Warren's potential departure impact the Big Ten's navigation of, of adding uh, USC and UCLA? And then two, what are your overall thoughts on how college athletics or college football in general is transformed, if at all, with the college football playoff expanding here in two years? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it affects their uh, their the the transition of those schools into the league really much at all. You know that the work was done getting getting the paperwork signed and you know to, to make the deal happen. Uh, whoever's the commissioner, they should be able to handle the scheduling issues, which will be significant um, for you know getting them in, not making this a complete mockery in terms of cross country travel. Um, and then the expanded playoff, I think it's going to be phenomenal. You know, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's just going to be fantastic across the board. Good for like everyone just about. And 
you know, I, I'm glad they fast-tracked it for 2024. we got one more year of four next year, uh, and then we're going to see a much better sport, I think. Pat, thank you so much for taking time for us. I know it's a, it's a busy week and a busy next couple days. You get ready for the college football playoff and the New Year's Six Bowls, but always appreciate your work and always appreciate your time. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Good to be on with you. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New Year, Year to you, too. That is Pat Forty, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. There's so much I like about that call. Obviously, Mark Boyle's cadence and, and sense of the moment for an in-game dunk is electric. I think for me, though, it's it's Eddie Gill's gasp as Aaron Nesmith takes off, BK, because he knew right away it was about to be legendary. Eddie Gill, recurring guest to the Fan Midday Show. Indeed, indeed he was. It's a highlight play for the ages, a highlight play that shook all of Gamebridge Fieldhouse, and we're joined now by the very man who put Jared Allen on a poster last night, Aaron Neesmith of your Indiana Pacers. Aaron, I I have uh, at best a credit card vertical leap, if that. Uh, what's it like to fly like that? <laughs> uh, I mean, it was just it was fun. Spur of the moment, you know, I just drove baseline and uh, just elevated. Aaron, I know it's your first year in Indianapolis coming over from the Boston Celtics, and you're getting here at a good time to play inside Gamebridge Fieldhouse, not only with a fun team, but after the renovation, too. It's been a really fun environment when I've been inside the building this year. What have you thought about playing in front of Pacers fans for the first time this year? I'm sure the building was pretty loud last night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the building was extremely loud last night. Um, I think that was our first sold-out game of the year, uh, is what I was told after the game. So, um it's been a lot of fun playing in front of these fans. They're loud. They're loud. They care. They know their basketball. Um, so it's just been been a great time so far. Aaron, I know that there's a, a fine balance for NBA players of, of team success versus individual success, and you guys obviously have your goals as a collective. But to, to have you be selfish for a second, walk us through what the last twelve hours or so have been like. Whether it's your your mentions being blown up, whether it's your phone, uh, when you have a highlight play like that, and just what the locker room was like uh, afterwards. Uh, yeah, the phone phone's been going crazy, uh, sleeping all night nonstop. Had to had to like put it under some sheets so I could go to sleep. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it was just it's it's fun to be able to make you know a highlight play like that, and everybody from back home and uh, from college tweeting and, and mentioning you on Instagram and stuff. And uh, you know, the locker room was fun afterwards. They put it on the big screen and. Um, the last thing we saw before we brought it in and uh, you know just kind of making sure you uh, cherish the moment but you know move on just as quick move on to the next one Pacers forward Aaron Neesmith with us on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com Aaron I think the attractiveness of this team of you guys as a unit this year is your just pure athleticism and all the trades that have been made and the deals that have been made to get you guys together. But you and O'Shea and Buddy and Tyrese playing the defense that you do and then Miles in the middle. Have you been part of many more just pure athletic dudes on one bench in your career? Nah, man, this is a uh, – yeah, we got some high-level athletes on this team for sure. You know, like, like you said, you got me, O'Shea, Drew – Buddy, Tyrese all playing defense, and then you know you got like the best shot blocker in the league, and Miles cleaning everything up at the rim. So it's just been it's been a lot of fun and high level high level uh, athletes. 
Aaron, obviously last season it, it didn't go the way that the Celtics wanted it to in the finals. And I know that in terms of your growth, definitely a larger opportunity for you to shine here in Indiana. But if you could reflect back on that run to the finals, what were your what were the biggest things you learned with the Celtics uh, over that run last year? Uh, that winning is hard. That winning in this league uh, is not a very easy thing to do. Um, especially, you know, going from being a top seed in the regular season and maintaining that, uh, I would say, maintaining that flow and rhythm and uh, keeping that into the playoffs. And then, you know, to beat a team four times is not easy to do, no matter who the competition is. So uh, that definitely taught me just how important every possession is and how important every possession matters. Aaron, getting the play for a guy like Rick Carlisle now in your career, Jimmy and I are just a few years older than you, so at least I grew up watching the Dallas Mavericks team and then ultimately their championship, Rick coaching. I'm sure you as an NBA fan, you did the same. So after watching a guy like Rick growing up, I'm sure, what's it like now to play for him? Uh, it's pretty cool. You know, I was, I was a Miami Heat fan growing up, um, and so I was definitely watching that, that final series in 2011. Um, so it's super cool to be able to, you know, watch watch Rick coach the kid and now being able to play for him and um, kind of use the concepts that I watched on TV. So it's been it's been really awesome. What's probably the biggest thing you've learned from him so far? Uh, continuity. Um, and, you know, I would say just ways to impact the game off the ball. Aaron, we talk a lot about the grind of the NBA season. We had Eddie Gill, uh, the Pacers Radio Network, come on a couple days ago talking about you know, what he remembers from the grind and how difficult it is. There's going to be ebbs and flows, particularly when you have a young team, but you guys have won four of your last five now. Uh, how do you manage that on a nightly basis with the slog of the season? And what's been the biggest takeaway over this four wins in five-game stretch for you guys? Uh, you know, Playing, playing the right way, really. You know, sharing the ball, cheering for each other's success. Um, and like you said, there's going to be ebbs and flows throughout the NBA season. You know, we had a little rough patch of games, especially on that West Coast trip. And it's just about being able to survive tough times like that and how quickly you could bounce back and get back on track. So um, we're doing a good job of, of winning games right now. we got to string them together. Well, Aaron Neesmith of the Indiana Pacers is with us. Aaron, the game last night, high intensity. Cleveland, a good ball club. I mean, stacked through the East. A lot of good teams, a lot of good players. Just how intense was it on the floor last night playing in that highly contested game? Yeah, that was an intense game. I mean, that one had uh, like that's playoff ramifications right there in that kind of game. So that's the way we approached it last night. That's what we talked about before the game. Um, and, you know, we went out there and accomplished what we set out to do. Aaron, what was the biggest improvement that Coach Carlisle and company preached to you guys after the loss to the Cavaliers up at uh, Cleveland earlier this month compared to the way you guys attacked and, and were physical from the jump against the Cavs last night? Uh, I mean, you said, like, just physical, you know, making them work for everything. Um, it was a tough loss in Cleveland a couple weeks ago, so – um, that was, this was pretty much a revenge revenge game for that one. We should have won that one in Cleveland, so we weren't going to let this one slip away. Aaron, you've only been in Indy for a short time. Any favorite things about the city so far? Man, I lay low. I lay low during the season. So it's, I, I, honestly, I love the peace and quiet out here. I love the space. 
Um, you know, when it was warmer out, there's a bunch of golf courses out here, so I was out there golfing. So you a big golfer? Yeah, I, I would say big golfer. I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> What's your yeah. best club? What's your best club? Uh, some of my best the best score I've gotten. No, best. Cl- What's the best club in your bag? You you hit driver well. You putt oh, well. Oh, my seven iron. My seven iron. <laughs> so you're good. My you're good within iron. like 150. Yeah, I hit my seven like 170. Oh, why, man? You're a lot better than me. That's for damn sure. (laughs) In that same vein, Aaron, you talk about laying low. I always am fascinated by it because of the grind of the NBA season. You guys have a game tomorrow on New Year's Eve, but then you're off on the second. Uh, Very laid back plans for you then, uh, New Year's Eve wise? Yeah, yeah. Just chill, chill, get some family time, take it easy. Um, with games every other day, you know, you got to take care of your body. Well, I can't blame you on that front. It's been fun to watch this process throughout the season. I wish you all the best moving forward. Happy New Year to you, and thanks again for making time today. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you. Happy holidays. Aaron, thanks, man. Sir. That's Aaron Neesmith. On the hotline, brought to you by the Motor Shop in Fishers and the motorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power, power tools, equipment, so much more at the Motor Shop in Fishers and the motorshop.com.